Yowie wowie, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times. Data with the latest NXT edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, Getting Over is back once again with bonus episodes this week as we break down everything that happened Tuesday night on the latest edition of NXT. The brand as of right now is still building for No Mercy, which is a decent ways off, but the last two weeks of television have absolutely delivered, and we will be getting into all of that momentarily right here on the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. Before we get to that, of course, I do have some reminders off the top of the show. First, if you would please remember that this podcast is all about Defy. And what that means is I hope you remember it is all about the five here at Getting Over. I hope you visit Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave some five-star ratings on Apple. Take a little extra time. Leave a five-star written review. If you do, we will read it live right here on the show. I am also noticing that some of our listeners are leaving comments on the Q&A section on Spotify podcast. So what I'm going to start doing, since you all are taking the time to leave your comments there, basically the same as what the reviews would be on Apple Podcasts, I will read some of those on the show as well. And I'll go back a little bit to make sure anyone that has left those comments uh, gets acknowledged right here on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast, because I do appreciate you all taking the time to leave such positive words about the show. Please also remember to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast for episode drops, news, analysis, highlights, all of that good stuff. You especially want to be following us this week at Getting Overcast because we will have pre and post show polls around WWE Payback and AEW all out this weekend and getting you to participate in those polls that enhances our instant analysis episodes that will come out Saturday night and Sunday night respectively. So again, follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. It's also a great spot, I should note, to send in DMs and tweets for the show. One more reminder before we get into it today with NXT on this podcast and really at all times. I happen to love the number five. And I hope you do as well, because for just five bucks a month or $50 for the entire year, you can become an official Getting Overhead. Please visit buymeacoffee.com slash getting over. Sign up for a subscription. Not only will you get bonus audio and news posts every week, but your contributions will directly go into supporting myself, the Silver King, Vintage Chris Vanini, and in totality, the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. Again, buymeacoffee.com slash getting over. Now, as we get into NXT this week, I wanted to note off the top, there continue to be a ton of tributes to Bray Wyatt uh, coming in. Before we get into what happened on NXT Tuesday, I should note just before we taped the show, and if my voice sounds a little strange, I was emotional uh, a short bit ago. Uh, WWE posted a 35-minute tribute video to Bray Wyatt with tons of thoughts from superstars and other folks that we see on television all the time. Everyone from Drew McIntyre and Bailey to Samantha Irvin, who capped that video. I'm not going to tell you what she did at the end of it, but uh, yeah, it affected me uh, coming into this. It was beautiful, a touching tribute. We mentioned on Tuesday's show how I was a little surprised that they didn't have wrestlers speaking directly into the camera across SmackDown and Raw, and I wondered you know, why they didn't do it and if they might post something about it separately. Well, here we go. This is exactly what I was talking about. I'm certainly glad they did it. 
And it was something that was tough to watch. I don't suggest doing it uh, if you're maybe around other people or uh, if you want a little bit of privacy while you're watching it, I would suggest doing that. But uh, Drew McIntyre, um, his comments hit really hard. Samantha Irvin at the end was beautiful. Um, person, soul, voice, everything. You know, she's great. A uh, friend of the show, of course. And um, yeah, it just hit me right before uh, I was taping today's show. I should also note from NXT on Tuesday, uh, Joe Gacy wore a Bray armband. Brutus Creed did a spin of a weapon uh, for Terry Funk. NXT also aired the same Bray Wyatt video package that we saw on SmackDown and Raw, and that followed with fireflies throughout the Performance Center, and again, a chant from the crowd with the rocking chair on the stage in a spotlight. Vic Joseph and Booker T also uh, put up fireflies, which was pretty cool as well. So yeah, the, the tributes continued on NXT. What I was told is they are going to continue through uh, SmackDown on Friday and Payback on Saturday. Now, I don't know what form the tributes will continue. It may just be moves that are being used or armbands or, or things like that. I, I would be perhaps a bit surprised if they continue airing the uh, video package, at least on SmackDown. I could see them airing it again um, at Payback and having the huge sold out crowd at a premium live event doing the fireflies and that being a moment. And I think that would be really sweet and a nice way to kind of wrap up all the honorifics and all the tributes. Um, but yeah, it's been tough. And I should note as well that, look, we've received um, a number of direct messages, tweets, emails as well. By the way, our email account, I don't give it out that frequently, but you should have it getting over pod at gmail.com. If you ever want to send in a last word question, you have a business inquiry um, or whatever the case might be, getting over pod at gmail.com. But we got emails, um, tweets, DMs with a bunch of notes about our Bray Wyatt and Terry Funk special on Friday, the tribute episode, and our conversation at the start of Tuesday's WWE episode. And I don't feel it's appropriate necessarily to read um, comments or praise or, or whatever the case about things like that on this show. Um, it's different from a five-star review, you know, but I just wanted to say uh, for all the people I did answer and for all those I didn't, and you were wondering if I saw your comments, I did, and I appreciate them. Um, it was tough to do Friday show. Recounting some of it for Tuesday show is difficult as well. Even today, still a little tough. Um, you know, I, I was not a friend of, of Bray's by any means, Wyndham Rotunda. I did meet him and interview him a number of times. A really warm guy. Um, you could tell there was a lot of love there from his peers and the people who worked with him. The people in WWE's PR department always spoke very highly of him. And that was one of the reasons why when he was actually released, you know, I guess it was two years ago at this point, uh, it hit a lot of people really hard. And that was one of the releases where, uh, don't get it wrong, don't get it twisted at all. Uh, superstars don't ever want to see their coworkers lose their jobs, unless certainly they have an individual issue with them, but that's few and far between. Um, but when Bray was released, it really hurt the morale in the WWE locker room. And him coming back was one of the various items that improved morale significantly. So now, from what I've been told, and I'm not trying to do some reporting on this or whatever, but from what I've been told from some of the people I've spoken with, um, morale is actually high from the standpoint that people are rallying together. And there's a lot of camaraderie backstage. And it's unfortunate, obviously, and it's significantly unfortunate that something like this precipitated that. 
But the way that people are having each other's backs, the support from what I've been told, WWE is providing to the superstars, both, um, you know, mental health type of support, but also just time off and schedule flexibility and things like that. Um, everyone's really come together around this situation. And that is heartening, even, of course, if the situation itself is a tragedy. So I just wanted to say that off the top to recap and kind of wrap up uh, some of these conversations that we've had about Bray Wyatt and Terry Funk, of course, rest in peace to both of them. Uh, as we started this NXT episode, we had extra time on today's episode. I did not get a chance, I should note, to watch uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling G1 Climax, the semifinals and the finals. I still am planning to watch it, I promise you. And, and if and when I do, um, I will get them on either a special Wednesday show with NXT or our Thursday show when we put everything together. I want to watch them. I, I need to make sure that I catch up on them. I heard all three are fantastic matches. But too much has been going on. Uh, I've already mentioned previously, last week we did five episodes. This week we're doing five episodes. That's 10 in two weeks. You know, we normally do four. Um, so, you know, <laughs> that's a lot. Four. I'm saying four in two weeks, and instead it's 10. So we're more than doubling our output. It's a lot. Um, but we're here for you, and I appreciate you all being there for us and listening to all the content that we are putting out. So thanks to all of you once again. With that said, let's get into NXT this week. A ton happened on this episode, we're going to break the entire thing down and give you some thoughts on what is happening going forward. So let's kick things off the way NXT actually began. The Creed Brothers against the Dyad in a steel cage match. So like I said, this opened the show. All the minions attacked Brutus Creed and carried him backstage. This was after Julius Creed had already entered the ring. Uh, basically, Schism and Joe Gacy forced the door shut and locked. So Julius stuck inside Brutus backstage. And I just find NXT to be so creative uh, when they do stuff like this, you know? Julius was decently dominant. He actually hit an insane one-arm powerbomb while simultaneously having a guy in an ankle lock submission. I tweeted the video of that if you missed it. Dude is an absolute freak. Brutus returned eventually after commercial break. He ran through all the minions one by one. The guy looked like Brock Lesnar out there. It was one of those ridiculous deals where it's like 12 on one and guys get touched in the chest and they just go flying 10 feet backwards. It was a little much, I guess, is the best way um, that I could put it. Joe Gacy taunted him with the key to the cage. So Brutus just straight ripped off the door and brought it inside to muted holy shit chance. The difference between like suspending disbelief for the attack on the minions and then the guy ripping off the door for me is totally different. I thought the minion stuff was ridiculous. But ripping off the door was awesome. Now, maybe that's conflicted, but that's how I think. And that's how I uh, think when I watch wrestling. Brutus squashed Dyad with the door into each side of the cage. Then Dyad tried to use the door to choke him, only for the Creeds to overpower them and counter it upside down onto them. Julius next lifted both Dyad on his shoulders out of the corner somehow. And Brutus hit a double Brutus bomb for another muted holy shit chant. They followed with sliding lariats, for the win and got reinstated into NXT. Ivy Nile came down and celebrated with them in the finish, and that was pretty much it. This was exceptional. I want to be very clear. The Creeds are simply, they're generational talents. They're a generational tag team. Julius individually appears to be a generational talent as a singles performer as well. And I'm not exaggerating when I say that. They are incredible in the ring as a tag team. Both have really high ceilings, as singles competitors, Julius, more so potential world champion. Brutus, though, 
still very high as a singles competitor. Dyad bumped their asses off for the Creeds. And while this match was certainly strong bell to bell, the individual spots within it, those were extraordinary. Plus, the booking was fantastic, even if Brutus killing a dozen people was ridiculous. I did have one problem. So Brutus rips off the door, right? And it's two on two and he's using the door. And this is a match where Schism wants to make sure the Creeds do not win their contracts back in NXT. You have Joe Gacy and Ava outside the ring, healthy, walking around, screaming, yelling, whole deal. Why wouldn't Gacy go through the open door? It's a no disqualification match. Make it three on two. And okay, the Creeds could still win. They could eliminate Gacy with a finisher, then beat Dyad the same way they beat them. But why wouldn't Joe Gacy go in, help Dyad, make it three on two, and try to succeed in their purpose in the the entire match? Again, they had a dozen minions beating the shit out of this guy outside. They came up with this really smart plan. Now the door is open and Gacy does nothing about it. That does not track for me. And that was a problem in the logic of the match. I did think it was a great opener, but things like that, things like Brutus just killing 12 different guys. And again, the wrestling was really, really, really good, but I wouldn't say it was excellent across the board. I went 3.75 stars and a B plus, but it was a fantastic opener, totally entertaining. And I would suggest at a minimum watching the highlight package from this match. Carmelo Hayes and the D'Angelo family were putting each other over because they were champions when the Street Profits made a cameo, dapping them all up and asking what was next for Melo. He said he wanted to erase the asterisk from his record. Then the Prophet said next time they were in the neighborhood, they might check in and see how you doing. Probably referring to the NXT Tag Team Championship. Tough to say because as they were saying this, they immediately got interrupted by like four to six women just beating the absolute shit out of each other in the NXT kitchen. So later, Trick dapped up Mello. Uh, they were backstage in the locker room area. He said, hey, I spoke to the Street Profits and he was gonna tell him something, but we don't find out what he was going to say because Hayes cut him off. He said it was getting to him that people are saying he only beat Dragunov because Williams was there. He was really frustrated. He asked Trick to confirm, hey dude, I can beat Ilya one-on-one, right? And then Trick paused, so Mello left. But as Mello was walking out, Trick said, I don't think you can, I know you can. So he was there being a friend, supporting him. Mello didn't get to hear it. Mello kind of rushed a little bit too much in this segment. He didn't let it breathe enough, but the dynamic between them remains great. It's very similar to what's been happening with Wesley, where he's been in this like manic state of being disrespected and all this type of stuff, which doesn't fit really his character. Mello obviously is an extremely confident character. This was showing that confidence breaking, but it was a little bit too much given the fact the guy just retained the title recently. So why is he so fragile all of a sudden this week? I wish there was a progression towards it. They kind of skipped a week in terms of telling the story of his character. Now, it does seem obvious that whatever Mello does next, eventually he's going to defend the title against Trick. And it's going to be interesting to see how they run that storyline when the time comes. Regarding the Profits, it was great to see them on NXT. Very fun surprise cameo, but it was a tease without any more information. So we're going to have to wait and see what happens there. Ilya Dragunov hit the ring and put over Trick Williams for their battle last week. Then he turned his attention to Hayes, saying he's back in the top spot and wants the NXT title. As he was going after Mello on the mic, Noam Dar interrupted from the Metaphor Lounge, which was built atop the crowd, 
because they're doing the Global Heritage Invitational and they wanted to watch the entire deal. Basically, it's the Toxic Attraction Lounge with different furniture. They start going back and forth on the mic before Oro Mensa insults Dragunov in German, and they all start taunting him. Dragunov threatened to attack. Dar called him a Muppet. And then Mensa stepped up to take the challenge, saying Dragunov didn't deserve to be in the same ring as Dar. Mensa then ducked out before Torpedo Moscow, and that ended the segment. This was not the interaction I expected tuning into NXT, but it was hot, and it offers a really strong in-ring match next week that Dragunov should win to presumably put him back in contention for Melo's title. It makes sense that Hayes wants to clear the asterisk. But at the same time, as much as I love Dragunov, a fresh challenger probably would have been nice. There's plenty of people on the roster who could be elevated, such as like Joe Coffey or Mustafa Ali or Dijak. I'm not just naming a couple. Someone from the main roster coming down is also an option as well. I say that now, but obviously if they book Melo and Ilya too, I'm going to be absolutely thrilled about that. And when we see it, it's probably going to bang as well. The storyline also with the asterisk makes complete sense. It's just, again, seeing Melo this shook was surprising because he usually oozes just complete confidence. And I feel like they skipped that step, which isn't allowing the story to kind of hit the way I would want it to, at least instead of it being a 10 out of 10, it's like an eight, for example. But you know what they say regarding Melo being shook? Ain't no such thing as halfway crooks. Wes Lee cut a social media promo saying Heatwave did not go as planned and he's not done with Mello because he beat himself by running into the barricade. Lee promised to fight for another opportunity to run it back and then win the NXT championship. So this was solid stuff. It was nice for it not to be dripping with the semi-heel shit he's been talking the last few weeks that we've been criticizing. NXT went off the air then with Mello walking into Shawn Michaels' office, having watched Wes's video saying they need to talk. So one wonders whether we're looking at a triple threat, a number one contendership situation between Dragunov and Wes Lee, something completely different. I presume we're going to find out next week with the booking, then the match will happen a week or two after that. I think it's going to be a number one contendership, Wes Lee and Dragunov, the winner fighting Mello at no mercy. That is what to me makes the most sense. Roxanne Perez cut a taped promo saying she used to respect all the competitors she's facing in the fatal four-way number one contendership for the women's title, but now she's just ready to walk all over their bodies to get her title back. Gigi Dolan was next talking about creating chaos, saying Tiffany Stratton was stupid for putting her in the match. Kiana James was third, taking shots at all the women, saying she's separate from the pack because she doesn't make excuses, she makes things happen. Blair Davenport then said it was a foregone conclusion that she would become the number one contender, and she was excited to deliver pain to all three women. These all worked to preview the main event. Wrestling shows do not do this stuff enough. It is absolutely wild to me that Raw, SmackDown, Dynamite Collision, whatever the case might be, they'll have a huge main event, and it's the biggest match on the show, and they just don't talk about it. Or if they do, they'll say, by the way, coming up in the main event is this match. They don't have the main event competitors go out there and cut promos promoting it throughout the entire show. That's what we got here. It made the episode better. And as a viewer, it gave you some information into the mindset of all four women going into the match, which enhanced the match by the time you got there. I loved it. Uh, Perez, Dolan, James, and Davenport all fought for that number one contendership in the main event. Roxanne went on a big run. There was a double headlock, almost like centipede style deal in the ring with Perez trying but failing to turn that into a long Boston Crab. Dolan caught the other three out of the corner with the double powerbomb superplex. 
Uh, Got to come up with a name for that. I, I'll figure out what to call that going forward. I think I've called it a super duperplex, but that's not really what this one was. Uh, Roxy had another hot run later in the match. She had a really nice stunner styled neck breaker on Gigi, which we need to see that again. Uh, Perez jumped on James's back for Pop Rocks, only to get drop kicked backwards by Davenport into the turnbuckles. Six spot. Dolan caught her with a great half and half suplex. Then Perez went for Pop Rocks on Dolan outside with Davenport kicking her in the head and that momentum leading to Pop Rocks happening. Blair came back with a coup de gras to Roxy's spine, but then she ate Pop Rocks only for her body to fly out of the ring on landing. Gigi crawls back inside. Perez held onto the middle rope to prevent the Gigi driver, which is that abdominal stretch driver we've seen her use recently. They call it the Gigi driver. I feel like there could be a better name for that. James came in out of nowhere to catch Roxy blind, and then she hit Gigi with like almost a single shin code breaker, the one that's you do falling like really close to the canvas. I thought it looked great, and James got the shocking win. Tiffany Stratton uh, stared off with her after the bell with both clearly talking shit as we build to this heel versus heel match. As I said last week, Dolan seemed like the obvious winner here. So it's quite shocking that it was a heel. At the same time, this is a TV title match and it's just happening next week. So maybe it makes sense here. And perhaps the goal is to save Gigi for no mercy. It might have been the best Dolan has looked in the ring since joining NXT. The finish and the match itself were both outstanding. All the women were great. Roxy was the MVP. Davenport was a shade underneath her, but she was great as well. And Perez consistently stood out whenever she had a featured sequence. There's just something special about her. We've talked about it. Booker T's talked about it with us. She just has something. What is that thing called? I forget. I believe it only has two letters. Roxanne Perez has it. You have it. You couldn't get rid of it. You couldn't sell it if you wanted to. You are it. But I don't mean to like erase the other women. Again, Gigi probably had her best match in NXT. Kiana was okay throughout, but her finishing sequence was great. And Davenport, whenever Roxy was not in the ring, Blair was carrying it. So it was just a damn good match. It showed what the women can do. And look, I'm not trying to like denigrate AEW by means of comparison, but let's just be honest, okay? If you watched All In last weekend and saw that women's four-way, and then you watched NXT, a TV show with like a thousand people in the performance center, maybe less, maybe 500 people in the performance center versus the 81,000 that watched the women's four-way at All In, I'm going to tell you two things. Which match had a better build and which match was better in the ring? The answer to both of those questions is the NXT match. I, I hate to say that, but it is balls on accurate. That's how good this was. Four stars, A minus. I would consider going 4.25. It probably would need to be on a premium live event without commercials for it to go that high, but it was right in between those numbers. It was an excellent match. Definitely a must watch if you like women's wrestling or if you just haven't seen NXT yet and you're wondering whether you should watch it, be sure to watch this match. Uh, Dragon Lee backstage said he's back in the North American Championship title contention after the mixed tag team win over Rhea Ripley and Dominic Mysterio. Mustafa Ali interrupted, saying Dragon already lost to Dom one-on-one, and he, Mustafa, has been waiting for that title shot. Ali said he's sick of seeing Mysterio walk around with the title because he's an outsider, and Dragon agreed to that. So Ali said, hey, if you agree to that, 
then you should agree it's my turn to get an opportunity. It's kind of tough to argue with that logic. And that's one of the reasons I love this Ali character. He just feels so confident in his role and everything he speaks is in complete logical fashion. So then Ripley and Mysterio, they cut a promo on Instagram saying he would hold the title until he retires. Dom told Mustafa and Dragon to fight it out amongst themselves. The winner would get a title match at no mercy. He also made himself the special guest referee to guarantee a winner next week in that number one contendership match. It was clear the Rhea Dom promo was taped Monday after Raw. They were, I think, dressed the same, but the background was the same too. Uh, A triple threat ultimately makes the most sense, but I wish the booking was Ali Mysterio first so we could actually see that singles match. Otherwise, if they go one-on-one, it feels like it's going to be a Dragon Dom rematch with Dragon Lee winning the title at No Mercy. Then again, I thought Dragon Lee was going to win the title when Rey Mysterio was at the ring with him, and that didn't happen. So, But again, it just it makes so much sense for Dragon Lee to go over Dominic Mysterio. Von Wagner could have taped promo at Braun Breaker saying he's not a badass because he likes to blindside people. Then Wagner, <laughs> believe it or not, did the whole Come Tuesday meme. And if you don't know what that is, please just Google Von Wagner Come Tuesday and you will find out pretty quick. Um, I literally did a spit take because I was drinking water when he said that. I didn't think I needed to write any notes about a Von Wagner promo. So I, I picked up my water. I started drinking it. He says that. I did spit some out, I will admit. Anyway, it was hysterical. He challenged Breaker next week in a no disqualification match. Shouldn't it be a tables match, given that's the story that they've been telling with Vaughn? I thought that was weird. The last two Wagner promos, look, they've been the best of his entire career. So credit where it's due. He's still awkward as hell when speaking. But I definitely want to see this match. And I can't wait to see how they book it, because you know what we're going to get here. Oh, we got two big meaty men bumping me tonight. Baron Corbin ranted at a stagehand backstage when Breaker approached, demanding a thank you for saving him last week against Wagner. Corbin talked about Braun's ego, saying he hopes he has the same confidence against Braun. Corbin talked about Braun's ego, saying he hopes he has the same confidence against Vaughn. Uh, Breaker warned Corbin not to get involved, and he said he didn't care about either of them. So Braun threatened him again, and Baron made a remark about not getting put through a table. As we said last week, It sure as hell seems like this is headed for a triple threat sooner than later. Probably the right move. You would have Breaker as the heel, Corbin as the tweener, and Wagner as the face. I like Corbin in this tweener role. And we've talked about this before. The way to repair Baron Corbin is to turn him face. And if they're able to do that in NXT, that could be awesome. Let's move to the NXT Global Heritage Invitational. So this is basically a tournament that has matches with 12-minute time limits, round-robin style, in two groups. Pinfall or submission gets you two points. A draw gets you one point. The winner of each group fights the other, with the overall winner from the tournament facing Noam Dar for the Heritage Cup at no mercy. Basically, it is a mini G1 climax, and NXT has done this previously for the Cruiserweight Championship in the tournament that Santos Escobar won however many years ago. So the first match we got, Butch representing England against Charlie Dempsey representing the United States. This was in Group A. Butch flipped out of an attempted avalanche suplex and snapped Dempsey's fingers. Then he caught him with bitter end for the squeaky clean one, two, three. Actually a bit surprised they had Butch go over Dempsey this easily, but they did good work. And Dempsey is certainly not going to be coming out of Group A when Tyler Bate and Axiom are the other two guys. I wouldn't be surprised if Butch is the one who comes out of it but Butch or Bate probably makes the most sense. Then we had Nathan Frazier of Jersey 
against Joe Coffey of Scotland. No surprise, Frazier was shot out of a cannon this entire match. There was a really scary spot, though, where he ran the rope so fast and hard, his neck got caught and snapped under the top rope. It looked like he nearly decapitated himself, and I would not be surprised if he had whiplash or something like that. It was wild. We tweeted that video if you missed it, so go check that out. Frazier hit a great springboard frog splash and flipped out of an avalanche German suplex. Coffee avoided a Phoenix splash after a slight distraction for Frazier, and Coffee came back with best for the bells for the surprise win. With Akira Tozawa and Duke Hudson also in this group, you have to think either Frazier or Coffee come out of it. Maybe they tie into a sudden death or the final becomes a triple threat. I'm not exactly sure what they're going to do, but this was a really good match and Both of these were worth watching. Neither of them were notably long. Now, there are some other matches that happened. They were taped for NXT Level Up. Apparently, they're doing some matches on Level Up and the rest on NXT TV. But I don't believe those have aired yet. I think Level Up actually goes on after SmackDown on Fridays. So we're not going to talk about those. But I will do my darndest, and I'll try to remember, to watch Level Up the next few weeks for these matches. And if so, I'll break them down whenever we talk about NXT on the podcast. Uh, Back to this, Bate later cut a promo about his group, uh, noting that he might finally be able to settle his long-term rivalry with Butch. Can we just call this guy Pete Dunn or Butch Dunn? Just figure something out. The name Butch, it's not bad, but it's just everyone wants to call him Pete Dunn. You could see like Tyler was going through it in his head, trying to figure out what name to say as he was cutting his promo. In the meantime, Bate said that he needed to cleanse his palate against Daba Kato, who he challenged to meet him in the ring next week. Kato, he's actually impressed with some of his individual spots, so I'm kind of excited to see this match. I do stand to wonder about this whole thing, though. If they have Bate lose while he's in the middle of a tournament, so if I had to guess, he's going to beat him via roll-up or something like that. Chase Yu was in session with Thea Hell absent. Andre Chase was worried that she skipped class but Hudson suggested she was just late. Chase went over the rules of the tournament, the uh, Global Heritage Invitational, and expressed his confidence in Hudson when Hale came in after class had ended. Hudson tried to play both sides. Thea then said, I'm going to skip study hall, and instead, I'm going to go out for the night. Then JC Jane shows up in the doorway. So this was hysterical. Thea is now obviously in her rebellious phase, as we suspected, and now you have JC playing the bad girl that's taking her to the wrong side of the tracks. Maybe they'll smoke a cigarette. Maybe they'll have a beer. It's actually quite perfect given JC's history in NXT. And let's all be honest with ourselves. I would much rather hang out with JC Jane than I would go to study hall for Chase U. And you can't really blame Thea for that. This is actually hitting really well, despite how ridiculous it would sound if you were to like put this on paper. But like I said, the entire thing is hitting and I just absolutely love it. Uh, Miles Bourne was cleaning up for Drew Gulak when Fallon Henley came up saying Briggs and Jensen needed a third to fight Gulak, Dempsey, and Damon Kemp next week. This was all caught on camera by NXT Anonymous. Bourne hesitated at first. Obviously, he's working with them, um, but he was excited because he would actually get a match on NXT television. So because of that, he accepted. Obviously, he's going against what would be the wishes of Gulak, Dempsey, and Kemp. Nice little twist to what they're doing in the storyline. We'll see how it plays out before we determine whether it's worthwhile or not. Kind of tough to say. Angel Garza woke up with deep scratches on his chest as Umberto Creo knocked on his door. They both said they had the same dream about their grandfather, Umberto Garza. 
with Carrillo revealing that he had the same marks on his chest. They agreed to start from scratch. They tore apart their Los Lothario shirt and decided to grab the glory they sought both for them and for him. This was kind of a good way to wrap up this telenovela from the last three or four weeks. Is it corny? Yes. Is it overdramatic? Yes. But again, it's telenovela style. In this case, the end justifies the means. The end being that these guys are getting refreshed as a legitimate tag team and they're going to go after the NXT tag team titles. That is what's important. I hope they take these titles from D'Angelo family sooner than later. I have no qualms with them being a heel team. If they want to make him babyface, that's fine. But these guys are legitimately talented. They can both speak. They look good. They're great in the ring. I mean, this is a team that should be thriving on the main roster. So coming down to NXT and getting refreshed is the best possible thing for them. I'm ready to see it happen. Eddie Thorpe fought Dijak. This was high intensity before the bell even rang. Thorpe hit a couple signatures and Dijak came back with high justice for near falls. Dijak then wrapped his belt around his fist but failed trying to use it. Then he picked up Thorpe and just chucked him over the desk into the chairs. Dijak then grabbed a chair and missed a shot. But with the referee removing the chair from the ring like a steel chair, Dijak gathered the belt outside for a loaded punch and then hit a big boot for the win. So look, the intensity was good, but something about this did not work for me. All the big matches that Dijak's been in, he's never thought about like cheating to this degree. But a couple minutes into fighting Eddie Thorpe, he needs to grab his belt and wrap it around his fist and use it. And by the way, it was like a fabric belt. It had a metal buckle, but it was a tiny metal buckle. It wasn't like it was a cowboy belt or anything like that. So what the hell is that belt even going to accomplish? It's like MJF's dynamite diamond ring. It's a tiny little ring that's going to knock somebody out, punch to the head. You know, it's not brass knucks or something like that. So again, going to the belt two minutes into the match, so much of it not being clean. It was a short match as it was. I think it was under five minutes, like four plus minutes. I just was irritated by this entire booking. I have not been fond of this feud. I definitely wasn't fond of this match. This for me was the low point of NXT on Tuesday night. And lastly, Dana Brooke and Kalani Jordan fought Electro Lopez and Lola Vice. This stemmed from a social media argument over the weekend. And then the kitchen brawl that we mentioned earlier. Vice hit a nice spinning back fist. Brooke had a nice counter on Lopez into a bulldog, then flipped Jordan into her. Then she kind of went wild and got reversed by Vice into the steel steps. That left Jordan prone for, I guess you'd call it an assisted roundhouse kick spine buster. It was kind of like the heart attack style, but that kind of move uh, for a heel victory. Dana lost her mind in the defeat, but we never really got more about it, even though we've seen the way she's been acting um, in the backstage area in prior weeks. It was a really poor finisher by the heels. I didn't like it at all, but a surprisingly high energy match. It's great to see Vice and Jordan getting so much time, and it is abundantly clear that Vice has a bright future. So excited for her to continue. And that is it this week from NXT. Obviously, we had a lot to talk about on this individual show. And of course, we separated it this week because coming up next here on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast, we will have our AEW All Out Ultimate Preview on Thursday. Of course, already in the books this week, our WWE Payback Ultimate Preview from Tuesday. And then just going back to last week, a reminder of a couple shows that we did. We do have the AEW All In Instant Analysis and our very special tribute show, Remembering Bray Wyatt and Terry Funk. Be sure to listen to all of that if you have not already. As mentioned, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast for episode drops, news, analysis, highlights, all of that good stuff. But 
also so you can vote in our pre and post show polls Saturday for WWE Payback and Sunday for AEW All Out. We will have instant analysis episodes Saturday and Sunday, respectively, where your votes and your voices will be heard. I know I did not get to that many uh, DMs and tweets for All Out. It was just a loaded show. It was so long, but I promise you, uh, we are still reading your tweets and DMs, your comments, your questions, and I will get them and work them into the shows as frequently as I can. You notice there's some shows where we'll read four or five. There's others like this one where we read zero. Just how it goes depends on what the messages are and how busy we are compiling the show and getting it together. So please keep sending those in. Also, please remember that right here on the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast, we believe it's all about So head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave those five-star ratings on Apple. Take a little extra time and leave a five-star written review. If you do, we will read it live right here on the show. You can also comment in the Spotify Q&A section. And if you leave positive comments there or have any specific type of questions or comments on episodes, whatever it is, we'll try to read those right here on the show. Please also remember on the way out that the Silver King... I happen to love the number... I did not set that up perfectly, but nevertheless, for five bucks a month or $50 for the entire year, you can become an official getting overhead. Please visit buymeacoffee.com slash getting over. Sign up, subscribe. You will get bonus audio. You will get news posts and your contributions will directly support financially the Silver King, Vintage, Chris Benini, and the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. Thank you all for listening to today's show. We will be back on Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday before the week is out. But at this point, it is time for me to sign off and leave you with just three final words. Bye for now.